0: Uh, so, without further ado, Lydia Yuknovich is the nationally best-selling. Woo! Give it up. Uh, Best-selling author of the novels The Book of Joan, The Small Backs of Children, Dora, A Headcase, and the memoir The Chronology of Water. She is a recipient of two Oregon Book Awards, a Willamette Writer's Award, and was a finalist for the 2017 Brooklyn Public Library Literary Prize and the 2012 Penn Center Creative Nonfiction Award. She lives in Portland, Oregon, but she is visiting us today right here in Los Angeles. Give it up, Lydia Yukinovich. Hello LA, I brought you some rain, you like it, Charles, (laughs) beloved, (laughs) Um, I'm going to read you I swear, it's going to be great, you're going to, you know, I'll entertain you, it'll be awesome, Uh, but I (sighs) I cannot let this moment pass, partly because we're in a fucked up moment, and passing isn't the thing to do anymore. So can I please, if you will do it, invite two extraordinary writers up here with me who are seated to my right. Uh, Wendy Ortiz and Miriam Gerba. There's my agent, Ray Hunter, (laughs) stay, come, come back. Um, In case you haven't been watching, (laughs) uh, Miriam, give me your hand, Miriam Gerba's (laughs) book that you should go out and buy tonight, um, even if you own one, you should buy five more, is entitled Mean, and she is an extraordinary writer. She's probably one of the top writers in the country, possibly the world. And so I just wanted to mention that to you in case you missed it. Oh, I love missing Wendy Ortiz uh, has a book that you probably own it, but I'm going to tell you the name of it anyway so you can go buy 17 more of them called Excavation. These are both books also by small presses, uh, small independent presses, which uh, speak back to power and are unsilenceable because fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's nothing in the world I would love more if you, than if you bought their books tonight. I told you the names, here's what they look like. You can get them signed, cause they're here. Also we have the same agent who is here named Rayhane Sanders and she's, g- I don't know what she's doing, she's doing something, <laughs> she's like <laughs> busy with something, but um, please give it up for two of my favorite authors on the planet. Also, fuck Trump. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> that. <laughs> Miriam Gerba. G U R B A. And to use your moniker, the lady in the overalls is a revolution. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here with you. Actually, you have no idea. There was a little hitch in the get-along today. And so that you're here and that I'm here, um, I'm so thrilled. Also, God, I wish I had like a Billy Porter gown. <laughs> like so much. I could cry. Because <laughs> I would come here. Because you're not doing that. You're doing this. And, and books. Books. I, but wouldn't that be cool if I did have a gown? And Arlo, you are spectacular, and I adore you. <laughs> um, I'm going to read a couple little things. I'll read you one thing, and then we'll check in and see. And if you're, like, tired and you want to go home, <laughs> that's okay. You can just tell me. And if you're not, that's okay, too. But none of it will be super long. Eh? So you can pace yourself. (laughs) Charles, how long have I known you? Like 30 years? Can I kiss you? (laughs) Uh, Charles Flowers will be reading here June 9th. Mark the calendars now. Um, So this book, the cover is so badass, (laughs) I had nothing to do with it at all, but I love it so hard because it has colors that an old lady would never choose. I'd choose like black, (laughs) like blood red, and spit, and poo color, and these are like hip and young and awesome, (laughs) and then the wolf is like, oh, it's a cute little, oh, God, (laughs) like it's menacing um so the the cover is just fantastic but these are stories um about uh characters who are in the back of my world connected to actual humans who uh the dominant culture would prefer we either uh not look at or kill or erase or look at as distasteful and part of the problem like poo or trash, Um, and so in my world, these have been the people I've loved, and sometimes I have been the person living under the overpass or in the psych ward or in a jail cell, and so um, I'm here on the planet, I think, to help remind us that beauty lives there too. Even when the moment is difficult or terrible or painful, Uh, Beauty lives there too, and it deserves an Academy Award. (laughs) (laughs) Or whatever, actually I think those awards are stupid and hierarchical and (laughs) white supremacy bullshit. But um, (laughs) they deserve to not be made invisible. And so that's what the book's about, that's what's in the book, those are the stories. And threaded between the stories of those people are a series of fragments and I'm going to tell you straight up, I'm not sorry, they're not full stories, they don't have a narrative arc, it's not your fault, they don't have a climax, they don't have a resolution, there you are, I was stalling, what the fuck, um, but here's what they do have. It's a series of little fragments that weave between the other stories, and they're all about women's anger. And when I <laughs> and when i also when I say woman," I don't mean the biologically essential category. I mean anyone who steps into the space of the feminine and suddenly notices, "Oh shit, it's vibrating, and someone wants to kill me." okay. Uh, So you'll see them if you look at the book, and they're all titled A Woman Doing Something or Other. Uh, But my aim is to catch women with their anger before it's sucked back into the culture and quieted. And so they're not magical unicorns. I don't know what women should do with their anger either. I just know it's an untapped resource. (laughs) (laughs) Enough? Enough? Okay, so the first one I'll read is one of those, um, and then we'll see how you are. And if we wanna stop, we can stop. My nose is running, sorry, I'm super classy. (laughs) A woman object exploding. Fucking goddamn it to motherfucking hell, she says. And he goes, I think that about covers it. He asks her why she feels the need to swear so much so deliberately. What depends on it? Why is it so important to her? Why, after so long, hasn't she just grown kind of tired, worn out in the mouth? She looks straight into his eyes, straight through his skull, and says, Fuck you. It's curious, he says, because now when she uses profanity, it sounds like everyone else's ordinary speech. Like when she says, God damn it, she may as well be saying, can you let the dog out? Or I'm gonna go check the mail, okay? She wouldn't say she's angry, but her eyes flash hard at him for saying this as if her language did not disrupt did not slice open the air and slash him across his goddamn too beautiful face. He's always been prettier than her. She knows he's lying, too. The simple truth is he was raised Baptist in some shitty little West Texas town, and she was raised in a fucked up place called Father. His hands, though, man, his hands are beautiful. That's what fucks us up. Her mouth is pure potty. They're lovers at this point. Hello, Hope, I love you. The real reason she's swearing up a storm is that they're on their way to an evening art party. He knows how they make her feel. The evening art parties they attend together are full of falseness because he's a white male genius artist in San Francisco and there's nothing real about white male genius artists in San Francisco. Not the art, not the women who fuck them, not the men who fuck them, not the galleries, not the critics. My God, the art critics, why can't we just shoot them in the face? Not even San Francisco. Everything is filmy, filmy as Bayfall. I was born in San Francisco. (laughs) Of note, this is fiction. (laughs) All of them together make one big pile of fucking shit, she declares, grabbing his hand as they approach the neighborhood of this evening's art party. And he squeezes her hand and briefly she squeezes back thinking, how stupid, wondering, Where is the risk or beauty in squeezing the lover's hand while walking to an art party? (laughs) They pass rows of colored houses, staring forward like so many faces. Here are the descriptions she would give. The fucking amazing view, the goddamn little rows of windows stretching for fucking miles. And here are his. Look at the azure evening light, warm glow from the inside out. The houses look positively alive. Doors, windows, roofs, speaking to them. They make a kind of good pair briefly, or rather their mouths do. Hers pushing out, exploding like this, his soaking everything in, slow and sweet like a swallow. When they're almost there, she suggests wild. Why don't we run back down the hill, past the doors and windows and faces into the evening? And she unbuttons her blouse and the light is dim and he can barely see her. And she tugs at his arm really hard and he half-believes her as always. But just then someone sees him from the party house and calls out his name. So they turn around and go in after all. She leaves her excitement, standing in the yard, leaning toward night, eyes wide, chest-heaving, naked, ready. But inside, everyone calls him Pater. His name is Peter, she corrects (laughs) him. But she's the only one who fucking calls him this. Finally, some man with a mostly bald head, except for some weirdly styled and sculpted gray stuff on the sides, explains to her that Pater sounds more like the name of an artist, that more people will buy from a Pater than a Peter. She is homicidally astounded that he thinks he must tell her this. The paintings, what, what, what is being bought? What is being sold? Someone tell me. At the art party, she does what angry women do. She drinks. She drinks a fucking lot language in the rooms of the party suddenly turns liquid animals begin crawling out one man becomes a lizard his belly scraping the shag carpet his arms and legs sticking out stiff from his body tongue like this another man who has been pinching the asses of women all night turns into a crab with one huge red claw so heavy he can't even lift it anymore there's so much ass to pinch a woman with big lips becomes a blowfish bubbles rising from her face now and then her eyes move to the sides of her head and look magnified peter Whatever becomes a bird with extravagant colored plumage, terribly magnificent, his back sways, his chest protrudes. Where did his Cock go? It's gone. She drinks wine, she drinks whiskey, she drinks beer, she drinks tequila shots. She still feels like a fucking person. What's the problem? She goes into the bathroom and removes her bra and underwear from beneath her clothing and stuffs them hard into the medicine cabinet. She emerges from the bathroom, some new animal that no one has ever seen before. Everyone notices her. She pretends they all see her as a magnificent exploding poppy or something, but knows they likely see her as a horrible stain. In her head, she names herself something between the color red and the word devour. She looks for him, this thing called a male lover. Some small man who might be a ferret or a weasel is talking to Peter, Peter, whatever, the rooster or the peacock, she can't remember. Everything swims, she watches her lover shrink. She moves closer. The ferret weasel, whatever mouth, is making sharp jerky movements. Closer still, she hears words like ridiculous and no talent and not a chance in hell. And her lover is shrinking before the weasel into a small bird and then into a chick peeping uselessly. And the ferret man's tongues looks long and dangerous and his lips are knives moving together, slicing and cooking, And she hates, she hates the ferret. She hates the smallness of the chick. She hates the alcohol. She hates the art party, the animals. She hates this body that came into this house. What was she fucking thinking? The ferret's mouth becomes the only thing she can focus on even as a crowd is gathering because now, of course, she has started swearing a mighty swear swarm like starlings murmuring. Even as the fish woman blows up with her lips and says, I'm diplomatic, I'm diplomatic. Even as the giant red pincher drags itself near, the ferret's mouth clicks and slices and becomes more clear than is possible so finally, finally, finally she has a direction for her hate to aim at and she fucking punches his mouth right off his face <laughs> everyone is a person again humanly stunned a man rests on the floor her knuckles ache some quiet hands from somebody whose name starts with a P lead her way He's saying, it's all right, it's all right, it's all right. And she suddenly realizes this is how she feels every goddamn night of her fucking life. His hands are on her face, her shoulders. He tries to sculpt her back into being okay and pretty and quiet. Her own hands hang useless. And then it hits her. This love cannot live unless she fights him every day of her life. He paints, he will paint. She aches for it all to be over, the years, the relationship, her gender, her crotch, the waiting. She aches to summer over into a different life. She runs toward summer with no hands. He will paint with, or without her, the genius. She will run with her hands, with her mouth, with her heart, into the night, naked, her mouth, her mouth, her mouth. So tell me how you are. Great. No? More, <laughs> more, 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 more. Um this part is hard because I got a little tripped up before I came here tonight. So I was gonna read you a kind of irreverent shorty that's about some things white women should think about. Or I could read you the beginning to a story that's more representative of some long stories in the book that are about people um, not from America who are trying to cross or come or reject or poop on America. And so I'm having a hard time deciding. So if anybody has an idea about that, say it out loud. (laughs) no because we didn't bring sleeping bags (laughs) okay let's learn some white women today that's a really good answer it's never a bad answer (laughs) that's right and uh, a thing can I say before we start I know if I say anything it's going to sound over righteous and stupid but like lose the defensiveness come on now you got to stand in the light a long time, <laughs> okay? We got work to do on ourselves, I mean. This is called drive through Raise your hand if you've ever gone through a drive through Oh good, <laughs> it won't be incomprehensible. Also it's for you only because you like it. In your car your red Toyota Corolla exhaust hums in front of you behind you small voices scratch out of giant boxes with writing on them drivers dig through pockets ready their money the sun dips down into her wallow evening descends on a line of cars in the drive through at McDonald's a tiny man in the distance you can see him in the rear view just above the words objects in mirror are closer than they appear he's on the move window to window, car to car in the rear view you can see the faces of other drivers pinch up as he nears their cars they dread him already they are cringing, scrunching up their shoulders locking their doors working buttonholes with their asses in the vinyl seats trying desperately to look at something else anything else but the little man approaching them bearded hair knotted slightly dirty clothes rumpled clearly weak worn white male 35 maybe 45 who can tell By the time you get to the young black man in the first window, huge waves of relief send a shiver up your back. You made it, goddammit, and an angel has appeared to you to take your money. There's no room for the nasty white man begging money to come around to your driver's side window. He could never fit between the ledge of the window with the guardian angel and the safety of your car. Your finger on the button to raise your window should danger appear. The young man takes your money and returns your change, you what kind of sauce you want thank you for asking me what kind of sauce I want gives it to you in a beautiful little white bag with golden arches on it white bag golden arches why it's heaven it's just like heaven on earth the delight is filling your whole body now earlier you thought you had to pee and the line of cars seemed unbearable but now now you are making an exchange that is simple and good and white and gold and profound in its truth the young man smiles and waves as you head slowly to the second window. His salary doesn't even enter your mind. You are free. You are on your way to the second window. Surely he isn't one of the cars behind you, so you don't even have to look anymore. Surely things will get a- held up there. Someone will refuse to open their window and he will knock on her, a- or he will appear inside the frame of the front window shield and the driver will avert her gaze. He will give up and move on or back or away. Surely, right? Surely. You risk a quick look in your rear view. Nothing, nothing, nothing is there like pennies from heaven. Your car glides almost magically to the second window. It's opening apparent, hands visible, a bag of food bulging in white and smelling of good oil, all vegetable oil and fried things. Your family is waiting at home. Your car is filled with gas. Your money has been paid. You're good. A pimply-faced girl with headgear and braces hands you your bag at the second window and you see capitalism and youth emerging from the window. You see her first summer job, her first lessons at responsibility and a savings account and taking care of herself. You see her on her way to college. Yes, that's it, the summer before college, the lessons she is learning, what a good student she will make, how she will excel in school, how she will learn well, how she will enter the workforce with a good head on her shoulders. And then there is a rapping at your window on the passenger side. And strange how you forgot he was there, isn't it? And your head swivels over out of dumb instinct. And there he is, his bad teeth and leathery skin and marble blurred eyes filling the window like a close-up, like a cinematic close-up, like winning the award, magnified, terrifying... His horrible mouth is opening and closing. He's saying something to you. He's saying something to you. He's talking to you. His muffled voice breaking through the glass shelter. Now he's yelling. Now you are clenching your bag for dear life. You're putting your car in drive. Your ass is working buttonholes. His fingers at the ledge of your world. Your own body like a snake's all spine and nerve. And then a new image from the front window. You see a man in uniform. Thank God. Thank God. My God. An older man with McDonald's uniform complete with cap and manager's badge is running toward your car. He's waving his arms. He's shouting. With one hand you are clutching your steering wheel as a near-miss accident and with the other hand you are clutching your white bag of food with the gold on it, heavy and full and your eyes are like a frozen deer's and your body is taut and your nipples are hard as little stones and your mouth is dry and you are are as alert as you are capable of being and the manager yells at the shitty little begging white man you go now you go now you're out of here shithead motherfucking you go no slaving here His slip of the tongue doesn't even faze you because you are with him. You love him. He is beautiful. You are grateful. There is no dividing you. The two of you are in it together forever. You're saving each other. This is America. You're making the world a better place. You are the American way embodied. You are each at each other's backs. You are 200 billion served. And that is all (laughs) of the reading of the words Um, and then there are other kinds of stories that are longer and I'm happy to talk to you a little bit here in that really awkward (laughs) horrible question answer way and if you don't want to do that that's okay too I'm just standing here Um, so uh, I will awkwardly and nonchalantly take a sip of water, <laughs> and that will give you a chance to <laughs> think if you wanna to talk to me. Look at your earrings <laughs> <laughs> wearing thank you um okay. And if I, and when I'm done taking my nonchalant sip of water, if there's nothing we need to talk about, that's cool too. And we can all go home and you can watch the Oscars. <laughs> I am nonchalantly looking away. Wouldn't it be great if these were martinis? But like <laughs> no one ever told anyone. They're just filled with martinis. Okay. Anyone? Just go for it. Um, so I read while you were reading. Uh, yeah, I made some shit up. Yeah. <laughs> It's three. Th- it's two things for sure, and maybe three things. Thing one is, um, I'm old, and when I was coming up, there was a cry in the wilderness. <laughs> 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 and when I was coming up, performance art was a thing, and there were women, particularly, women and queer people performance artists, and so Diamanda Galas and Karen Finley and Laurie Anderson and queer men were performing in this new mode that like broke open the cultural scripts. So some of it is when I'm, since I started out in the performance artist realm, which is a little shocking considering I'm an introvert. You have no idea. (laughs) But I felt okay naked with a knife, strangely, in front of people in a way I didn't in the world. So some of it's that. When I get in a crowd, I'm like, nah, I don't like that. <laughs> um, some of it is really me editing as I go. And I don't like the last lines of a woman object exploding because they end with him. And I didn't realize it till it was in book form. I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> they need to end with her mouth. So everywhere I read it, I'll just fix it. And then the third thing, and you don't have to agree with me, you can think I'm full of shit. I think writing and art, I think they're living organisms and living practices. And so when you're in them together, if it shifts while you're doing it together, fuck it. That means we actually were together for a second, like in the old way in ancient cultures, when you tell stories and it depends on who's there and what happens. And so I could change pages and I'd be happy about that if the people I was with were vibrating and I'd be like, fuck this, I'll just start. What are they saying? You know, um, so those are the three answers to your question. I like your sweatshirt. You. Been there. Yeah. He's <laughs> wor- <laughs> sure. Yeah. Everybody thinks it takes courage or confidence. That's not it. It doesn't. It's not, I get the question. I respect your question. Please hear that first, okay? It's not confidence. It's not courage. It's hitting a point in your life where the uh, struggle to hold it in is outweighed by the struggle to tell. And when you can see the struggle to hold it in is actually causing injury to people around you that you love. And so I don't think I would call that courage. I would think I would call it awakening to the fact that the people next to you are more important than you are. Uh, and it's for them that you keep moving, you keep telling. It's for whoever's coming next that you keep telling and opening. Even if you fuck it up, even if you get some of it wrong, you just keep doing it so there's a path for the person who's coming. And that's the whole thing. It's not even about you anymore. Which is why I don't think it's courage. I think it's responsibility. Get it! Yes, dearest. Can you do a one person show? I want to. I'm so scared. I want to. I want to. That's weird that you say that because we haven't talked about this. I w- so when I first started out, I was doing one woman things, saran wrap, of course you knives for real, <laughs> like really, Eugene, Oregon, and then something happened, and I, uh, uh something happened. But lately, I've been feeling as I approach sixty. I would love that, but I would never do it alone, I'd have to do it in collaboration with other bodies and voices. I, I can't conceive of an art act anymore that's not collaboration or polyphonic, but I am interested in it. I just, who wants to, you know, so one thing is, who wants to see 60-year-old women on stage, and then my second feeling about that is, double down, do it. <laughs> like, 60, 70, 80, 90, do it. <laughs> <laughs> I am interested in that. I'm working on it. I'm scared. I when I want to read the book but then hear you. Read yeah, it. I'm I, Live it. I do want to do it and I want to work with like um visual artists and choreo- choreography artists and uh costume like I had this one idea for a show where somebody would make these gigantic dresses that were stage huge. Like paper mache or whatever you need to do that, like these dresses that different speakers would step into and say their story, and there'd be like the knives dress and the blood dress and the fi- I'm telling you my idea right now. so I'm looking for financiers. <laughs> yeah, but wouldn't that be cool? And they step into these weird dresses and the dresses move, and there's some cool Bjork thing in the background that's awesome, and everybody goes, wow I would love it. Yes, ma'am. I'm going to I'm going to touch the soul of my sister Roxanne Gay here because I believe what she said and I say it in different ways but you feel it in your body. Uh form isn't a mysterious magical unicorn. Um it's the oldest thing in our lives. It's from the oldest cultures of human history and before human history. When form coalesces, you can feel it in your body because it's our relationship to the planet. And I'm not trying to sound like, woo uh, Poetry is our most important example. When you get to the end of the poem in that Emily Dickinson way, the top of your head lifts, or you feel the stuff on the back of your neck go that's the technical term. (laughs) (laughs) That's form. It's also content, but partly it's form. Um, How do you know when you're done with something? And I'm saying form is something you feel in your body. And so when you've finished a form or a gestalt, even in song or sculpture or dance or writing or anything, when you hit the form of it, the shape of it, and the shape is full, it starts vibrating and you can feel it in your actual body because it's the world talking back to you. I promise you it's true. It sounds weird, but it's true. You know where you can't learn it? Zen masters, (laughs) like you know, like writing craft people who come at you with their thing. If you don't feel it in your body, you're not done yet. Trust your body. Also that that craft thing they've been teaching us, oh, now I'm out of control. Um, (laughs) Legitimizes some bodies and stories and not others, and so if you go back to your body and ask, what is the song, is the song finished, that's a better dipstick. And it costs less. (laughs) Yeah? Hi. Hi, you're gorgeous. You're welcome. <laughs> um, since you write both fiction and nonfiction, I'm wondering, like, how is that process, like, switching between the two for you? Um, is there one you feel more called to? And just, like, the whole thing. So um, every writer you talk to is going to answer this differently, so I'll just tell you my puny one-person answer, which is I see the difference between fiction and nonfiction to me is more thin than infant skin. It's super thin. It's, a, it's more an issue of like, did that happen to me? No, maybe it's nonfiction. <laughs> 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 um, but my other answer is I only ever work inside the literary fragment or the intense image and they're little. And some of them I can't stop and those become novels and other ones find a form where my body rings a little bit and those become stories or essays or shorter hybrid things. And I just wait for my body to go, nah, this one's 300 pages, sorry. (laughs) And I keep going. Um, But it's like a poet aesthetic except I can't write a poem to save my life so I'm like a prose writer. I'm a poet stuck in a prose writer's body uh but my my form is the short fragment and everything that can happen there either keeps going or it doesn't. Yeah. So if sometime um you can't feel your body when working on an art form, so that's a good question, because that would be me, because uh, some of us here, maybe a lot of us, uh, come to art making through trauma or pain. Is that anyone besides me? You don't have to raise your hand. Never mind. Don't raise your hand. Um, that's me. And so I couldn't feel my body, and that's why I moved toward form, because I couldn't feel my body. So that you get, Right. And so I've been developing for the last 30 years or so this thing called corporeal writing where you do this. I'm just going to lay it out for you. I'll do it fast. Don't panic. You kind of close your eyes and you go into a micro trance, however that happens for you. For me, it's breathing or just taking some big meditative breaths or anything. But you close your eyes and you ask yourself, where am I most in my body right this second? Like, can I find that one tiny thing? If it's... The pain in your neck or your back, great. If it's your knee, great. If it's your yoni, whatever. <laughs> if it's your hands, your head, could you get a headache, wherever it is. And then you write a free write for five teeny minutes as if that place had two things. One, a point of view, and two, it's been holding something of your life story the whole time you've been alive. What is it? Turns out when we do this together, it's not me, it's, it's an old kind of form and collaboration. Turns out when we do this, like holy shit, my hips have been carrying the whole shebang for my entire life and I never asked them. So that's how I started and that's why I'm telling you And it's not just a good place to start, it's a good place to use all the time because I've gone back to it daily, weekly, monthly, and there's another story hiding like shoulder, wrist, spine, heart, ovary, whatever. So that, it's maybe a place to start. And no one will see you, you don't have to tell anyone and you won't find it in a craft book. (laughs) I'm working on it. (laughs) But my craft book's gonna look really funky. (laughs) It's very (laughs) Frankenstein-y. Was that a, what's happening? (laughs) It's okay. If I could go back and give myself advice, considering I've discovered I'm a misfitty, (laughs) and I've discovered there are others. Um, This is gonna sound a little smarmy, but will you allow me a tiny bit of smarm? (laughs) I would have hugged me in an embrace and not let go until it broke me open. Because that's what I needed and nobody gave it to me, and I felt othered and wrong and shameful. And if somebody had just hugged me and just not let go, like through the awkward, through the like me pulling away or even fighting, I would have fought. I would have been like, fuck you, motherfucker. Um, if somebody could have done that, it would have been everything. And I can't do that to everyone I encounter, but I can try and make a page. Mm. I can try and make a page that says, you, you know, as bad as it gets, there are others of us and we're out here and I'd risk hugging you even when you're gross. Cause I have. So can that be the answer? That's my answer a hug that doesn't die and breaks the person who feels ashamed back open to their own beauty. I'd do that. It's what I should have gotten and didn't. I love you. I also love your coat. (laughs) It's been such a pleasure to hang with you. You have no idea how grateful I am. Thank you so much.